Well, every year has its traditions and customs, right? We have our, our yearly holidays, right? We always know that Easter comes and, and Christmas, and uh, we have personal holidays, things like birthdays and anniversaries that we celebrate. Uh, there's seasons, right? We've got our sports seasons, right? There's football season and there's baseball season. Uh, and there's seasons that, that bring about general activities, right? We have, uh, in the fall, we rake leaves, and in the winter, well, not this winter, we shovel snow. Um, you know, in the summer, we, we mow the lawn, and, and we go from swimming to sledding, right? And, and every year, these things just are always a routine and a part of our lives. Well, I think there's one that we probably engage in a lot, and it, it doesn't usually make a big priority on our list, uh, but that happens every spring, uh, and it's the annual spring cleaning, right? We, we probably don't put that necessarily up on the calendar, but we always get to that point where all of a sudden we have this big force of energy and gusto where we go, it's time. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to clean the house. I'm going to purge all of the stuff that I've been waiting to do, and, and I don't think that's unusual, that we decide to do a deep clean, reorganize the garage, right? Clean out all the clothes and get rid of them. Uh, I think that's kind of a natural thing. And actually, if you notice that when spring rolls around, cleaning companies actually advertise the hardest during that time of the year, and they actually sell more cleaning products in the spring than any other time of year because of that notion of spring cleaning. So, so where does that come from? Uh, well, part of it is in many Eastern cultures like in, in China and the Middle East, they actually have a lot of their own holidays where every spring they have these holidays and, and religious customs that requires them to actually physically clean out their house, right? So, uh, so in Judaism with Passover, every spring when they would have Passover, they would sweep all of the yeast out of the house, right? That was the idea, right? So you have this spring cleaning mentality. Now, I think for a lot of us, I think it probably has to do more with the weather more than anything, right? We, we, we come through the cold uh, and, and we've got all this stuff and it's freezing outside and we're like, oh, I just want to find a warm blanket. And so we just take all of our stuff and throw it somewhere. And then finally, when spring rolls around, we're like, okay, now it's warm enough that I can actually go back outside and kind of clean all the junk that I've just been throwing everywhere because all I want to do is get myself under a Snuggie, right? So I think more than anything, that's probably what it is. We get more sunlight. Sunlight has a big impact on our energy capacity. Uh, and so what do we do then every spring, right? We gather everybody together in the house, right? And mom's like, we're going to do spring cleaning. And everybody's like, yeah, right? That's I think, I think usually there's only one person that ever seems to cheer about that. Um, but but that, that's a big part of our lives. Well, today we're going to see the spring cleaning or the deep clean that God wants to do in our lives. So we're going to be in Leviticus 12 through 15. Uh, and, and again... Uh, last week we talked about Leviticus 11 and which animals they could and couldn't eat. And really this could be part of this wider section, but I wanted that to kind of have its own little standalone message. Uh, but we'll see that there is a slight difference between Leviticus 11 and what we see in chapters 12 through 15. Now, 12 and 15, it works on another chiastic structure. Again, this idea that things parallel each other on each side. So chapter 12 and chapter 15 are going to 
deal with bodily fluids, where 13 and 14 deals with disease and mildew, just like the whole book of Leviticus, again, is moving towards chapters 16 and 17. And so what's before that is going to parallel what is on the opposite side of chapter 17. Okay, so we're going to cover a large swath of information, uh, but I want you to understand today that as we go through some of this and what makes people be considered unclean, understand that they are not necessarily in sin for becoming unclean in this context. Uh, because some of these are just natural functions and, and aspects that we don't necessarily always have control over. However, if we didn't do something about being then made clean, if we didn't deal with our uncleanliness, then we would have been in violation and we would have been sinning against God. So I wanted to just kind of put that out there so that way we, we don't necessarily look at this and, and get worried about the things that might happen to us. But first in chapter 12, it deals with the issue of childbirth. And essentially when a woman has uh, given birth, she's considered unclean uh, if it's a boy for seven days. If it's a girl, it's for 14 days. Uh, and then after that, she has to wait 33 days for a boy and 66 days for a girl. And once that time has passed, she'll be considered purified from her, her uncleanliness. And the reason for that is the loss of blood that happens when she gives birth. Um, and then when that time is up, that woman then is required to go before the temple and to actually make offerings of a burnt offering and a sin offering. So again, remember the burnt offering was completely consumed by God, right? This was kind of this totality of what was given. You know, the guilt offering was offerings that I may be not sure of exactly what I might have done, but somehow I may have sinned. Uh, and the sin offering is just, this is the blatant, like I have done something wrong and I have to make atonement for that. Okay. So in 12, in chapter 12, she, she gives birth. She goes through this time when it's all done, she's clean. And then she has to go to the temple and then prepare these offerings. In chapter 15, again, another one of some bodily fluids or bodily discharge. Now, this could be something unusual. Maybe there's some sort of disease that happens, uh, or it could be a process from normal marital relations or a women's cycle. These were the, the, the common ones that they would have been dealing with. But if, a, if somebody had something happen, they would have been considered unclean, and anything they sat on would have also been unclean. So if they sat on a bed that bed was now unclean. If they sat on a, on a stool, that stool was unclean. If they sat on a riding saddle, right? So if they got on a donkey and sat on that, that saddle on the donkey, that saddle would have also been unclean at that point. And anybody that came along and sat where that person sat would have then been unclean themselves. And so in order to, to, to become clean, they would have had to wash themselves, and then basically until evening, they would have been unclean, and then they would have made themselves clean. Now, if the person themselves was unclean, again, something was happening with me, uh, anytime I touched anything, I would have had to have washed my hands first. And, and if I didn't wash my hands first, and then, I, and then I go and I touch something, well, now what that object that I've touched has now been unclean. So again, nobody's now allowed to touch that until I wash that and take care of it. And again, if you do, if you touch that, you got to yourself wash and then until evening you won't be clean. And again, if you touch a clay pot, 
Well, the clay pot has to be broken. Remember, the, the, the clay pots were, were always thought to basically contain the, that uncleanliness or that impurity that existed. And there was no way of cleaning a clean pot, so we just destroy it altogether. Now, once, once the, the, the issue has stopped, you then had to wait seven days. Then after the seven days, then you could go wash and bathe yourself. So now it's not just wash my hands, but it's a complete bathe, a complete washing. And at that point, I then would come to the temple and again, make another burnt offering and make a sin offering before the Lord. Okay. All right. Now, 13 and 14 deals with disease and mildew. So chapter 13, what happens if I get a personal disease, right? I get some sort of actual sickness. Well, you would go to the priest, the priest would examine you. And if he said, yes, you have an actual disease in, in chapter 13, verses 45 and 46, a person uh, would have to do this. It said, anyone with such a defiling disease must wear torn clothes, let their hair be unkempt, Cover the lower part of their face and cry out, unclean, unclean. And as long as they have the disease, they remain unclean. They must live alone and they must live outside the camp. So if you got a disease, you got a sickness, you were unclean, you go outside. If anybody comes near you, you have to let them know, don't come near me, I'm unclean. And for one week, you were isolated. Now, after that time, the priest would come out to you, would examine you again, take a look. And if it found that you were still sick, you got another week of isolation and then the priest would come back again. And he would continue to do that until finally whatever the disease was had gone away. Now, if at that point when he came out and he examined you and he said, OK, it seems like the sickness has gone away and, and it's not it's not spreading. We seem to be doing better. The priest would then come out with two birds. He would take one bird and he would kill it. And he would take the other bird, the one that was alive, and he would dip it into the blood of the bird that was killed. And then he would sprinkle you seven times with the blood of that bird. And that bird that was still alive would then be released. Okay. And then you are now allowed to go back into camp but you couldn't go into your tent. You had to wait another seven days and then you could finally sleep back into your tent. And just like the other ones, you then had to go before the altar, before the tabernacle. But this time you needed to bring a guilt, a sin and a burnt offering. OK, so now there's now there's an additional offering that you had to bring for for what has happened. Okay? Now, if a person had gotten mildew in their clothes, Again, you take it to the priest, the priest examines it. If it looks like, yes, there's mildew in the clothes, we're going to isolate that article of clothing for seven days. After seven days, I'm going to take a look at it. If it's not gotten any better, or if it seems like it's going to spread, we are just going to burn the entire clothes up. There's, we're not even going to try to, to fix it anymore. But if it seems like, you know what, it's getting better after that week, we're then going to wash the clothes. We're going to wait another seven days. And if it seems good after that, that, then it's okay. But what we need to do is wherever that spot was, we actually need to take that spot out of the clothes and then you need to patch that back up. Okay, so uh, that, that's what would happen if you had some clothes. Now, the good news is you didn't have to make an offering for this one. But what about your house? What if you found some, some mildew existing in your house? Well, again, priest would come and he'd examine it and he'd say, look, 
This house is contaminated. We are going to close this house up for seven days. After seven days, we're going to come back. We're going to inspect it. And if it seems like it's starting to spread or it's getting worse, we are actually going to remove the stones out of the house or whatever plaster we're covering. We're going to take that stuff out. We're actually going to carry it outside the camp and we're going to throw it out there and get rid of it. And then you can patch up your house again. And then after another seven days, we're going to come back and take a look. And if it seems like the mildew is gone, that's perfect. The house is now clean again. You guys can go back in. But if it continues to spread, if it comes back, the whole house needed to be torn down, completely destroyed. Could you imagine that? You put all this hard work into building your home and then all of a sudden this mildew comes along and it's like, nope, tear it all down. Now, in this case, if anybody goes into the house, they would have been considered unclean and they would have needed to wash. And, and if anybody slept or ate in there or did anything a little bit more, you would actually need to go and bathe yourself at that point. But once, once it was clean, once the house was clean, the priest would again come and take the two birds. He'd kill the one, dip the live one in, sprinkle the blood on the house, and then release the bird. And now that house was ceremonially clean. So in every one of these cases, there is something that caused people to become a state of uncleanliness. And like I said before, again, these are not necessarily acts of sin. But if we continue to remain in that position, then that would have been an act of sin against God. But in every one of those cases, when there was some sort of uncleanliness, there was some factor of having to be quarantined. There was some factor that things needed to be separated. And when you were separated, what did that also mean? It meant that you couldn't worship. You couldn't come before the tabernacle. You couldn't offer anything to God. You, you couldn't fellowship with your common Israelite. And again, in some of these cases, you were told to go live outside the camp. You don't, you don't even get to be in this area. You, you got to go outside away from anyone else. Now, again, we, we, we hear these things and we think, man, God can be so harsh, can he? I mean, it, it, aren't, we, aren't we supposed to take care of each other? How do we take care of each other if we just keep sending people away and isolating them? And, you know, and the fact is, again, these are, these are natural bodily functions, these are natural processes of life. I, I, can't, I can't stop myself from getting sick. Right? I can do everything I can, but sometimes you just get sick. It's not fair that I would have to go and do all of this. And then again, as we said, insult to injury, I have to cry out, unclean, unclean. I mean, don't we have HIPAA laws that says I don't have to disclose my medical information with people? And then when it's all said and done, when it's all said and done, what do you have to do? Now you have to come to the tabernacle and bring these offerings, guilt and sin offerings, and basically say, here you go, God, I'm sorry that I got sick. See, again, we have to try to understand the scriptures. We have to try to understand why we are here. What purpose because if I make life all about me, 
and I make it about my needs and I make it about my wants and I make it about my desire, then yes, absolutely, I could look at a situation like this because I'm embarrassed or I'm ashamed that I've been considered unclean and I have, to, I have to go through all of these processes. I could be very angry at God and say, God, this is not fair. But there's purpose in what God is doing. Because all of this separation is about protection. And yes, there is protection for the rest of the community. That if I'm sick or I'm defiled in some sort of way, I don't want anyone else in the camp to have to experience being unclean as well. I don't want them to have to go through what I have to go through. So yes, there's an element that it is there to protect my fellow man, my fellow Israelite. But see, more importantly, what this protection is about, it's about the protection of God's tabernacle. It is about the protection of God dwelling in the midst of his people and protecting the sanctity of his holiness. In Leviticus 15, 31, it says, You must keep the Israelites separate from things that make them unclean, so they will not die in their uncleanliness, for defiling my dwelling place, which is among them. See, any violation of God's holiness, any any. any, any any aspect of, of causing pollution or contamination on a holy God, God turns around and says, if you do that, then you will die. So what this is, is not God being harsh, but this is God protecting his honor and his glory. And you know what? At the very same token that God is protecting his honor and glory, he is protecting the very breath in your lungs as well. Because what he's saying is, is I'm going to put you away from me because if you come near me in the state that you are, you are going to die and I want you to live. So God is not uncaring. He's not cruel. He is not vindictive. But God is loving and God is looking out for our best interest. Now, that may make some sense to you where you're like, "Okay, I understand that, Adam. But again, this to have to come and bring a guilt offering, a sin offering. I mean, these are natural things, Adam. They, They haven't sinned. That's essentially what they're being required to do is admit their guilt before God at the tabernacle. What about that part, Adam? Let me just remind you about the nature of sin and what scripture tells us. Romans 5, 12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin. And in this way, death came to all people because all have sinned. And King David said in Psalm 51, 5, he said, surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. See, you and I are unclean. Because we're born into sin. 
That that is our natural state as human beings is a state of sinfulness and uncleanliness. What Adam and Eve done has now passed on to every single man and woman in this world. It has passed on to every generation and will continue to pass on to every single generation that exists. And as a result, we are now broken and fallen individuals. And maybe you're thinking, but Adam, that's not fair either. That's not fair that I'm being punished for what somebody did long ago. Well, don't worry, the scriptures have you covered for that too. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Genesis 6.5, the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. In Jeremiah 17.9, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? The heart of man is evil and wicked. You and I are steeped in a life of sin. So if we don't think that we don't belong outside the camp, then you are wrong because that is the place where we deserve to live outside the camp, proclaiming our sins each and every day that we are unclean, unclean, unclean. So what this passage tells us is that there is a cost to being impure and being unclean. And that cost is separation and that cost is death. But there's another part of these passages that we have to remember. That not only is there a cost of separation and death, but there's a cost to atonement. Right? Because what had to happen? If these people were, were impure and they were unclean, I had to destroy my clothes, I destroyed the items, I destroyed my house. I dealt with the isolation and the embarrassment and I went and I lived outside the camp. I had to wash and I had to wash and I had to wash and I had to bathe and I had to bathe. And in some instances, they actually had to shave every parts of their body. They shaved their hair and their eyebrows and their beards. And then it was the cost of an animal's blood. That, that when all of that happened, it was, it was our coming before God and saying, God, I'm unclean, but I want to be clean. God, I'm unclean and I want to be in relationship with you. So God, I'm going to do everything that you tell me to do. So that way I can offer it to you and you accept that on my behalf. And then you tell me that I'm forgiven and that I've been made clean. And then when I'm made clean, what am I allowed to do? I'm now allowed to be back in the presence of God. You know, last week we talked about the animals that you could and couldn't eat in Leviticus 11. And what I tried to, to have us understand is that there's all kinds of external factors that press in on us that are causing us to defile ourselves and defile God. And we have to fight against that. The world is constantly asking us to dine and die with it. But you know what these are? These are the internal factors of our heart. Just as the world pushes in on us 
we have to constantly remind ourselves that inside of us is a sinful heart that seeks evil. And if those issues are not addressed in our heart, then we will never be made clean before God. So again, we have to take this idea of holiness seriously. That if we defy God, if we defile him, then what are we going to get? We are going to get death. But just as God made provision for his people to be made clean, just as God made a a way for his people to be made justified and right, God has done that for us. And just as the priest would go outside the camp and he would check on those people and he would examine if that uncleanliness has gone away, what did Christ do? And so Jesus suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his blood. It cost the life of an innocent man to die for our guilt. To put an end to all of the sacrifices and all of these ceremonial impurities. That we would no longer be required to live outside the camp, but we could forever live in the presence of his community, of his camp, of his tabernacle, of his kingdom. Now that doesn't mean we just continue to go on sinning. No, God has called us to a state of holiness. But the beauty of it all now is that when something happens in my life, I I don't have to wash and I don't have to bathe and I don't have to be isolated and I don't have to rip parts of my house out anymore. No, when I sin, Jesus tells us that if we confess, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. See, now all he's asking is just for our heart. He says, that's all I need. It's all I need from you. So Leviticus 12 through 15 is a set of laws about purity. It's a set of laws. It's an instructive tool that helps us to understand the depravity of our souls. And at the same token, it's a set of laws that helps us understand the saving grace of God that came through Jesus Christ. First Corinthians six, you were washed, you were sanctified And you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God. Guys, we've been washed clean. We have been washed clean by the blood of Jesus Christ. And because of that, he calls us to live differently. In Psalms 101, he says, I will conduct the affairs of my house with a blameless heart. I will not look with approval on anything that is vile. I will hate what faithless people do. I will have no part in it. The perverse of a heart shall be far from me and I will have nothing to do with what is evil. If I have been washed, then God is calling me to live in that state of cleanliness. And all of the cravings and lust and desires of my heart, I am going to fight against that through the power of the Spirit. And that is the joy of Christ, that we have been washed and we have been cleaned. And we no longer have to live in that filth. We no longer have to live with a sinful heart. We no longer have to continue to do what our heart wants to do. But now we can live a heart for Christ. 
And so to that, we can praise God that all of those things the Israelites had to do, we no longer have to do because of what he did on the cross. And that gives joy to knowing that I have a holy God who desires for me to be holy and I am holy because he is holy. Let's pray. Lord, it's easy to look at the world. It's easy to blame sin on everything around us. But Lord, let us not forget and neglect the state of our hearts. That God, we deserve death. We deserve to be isolated and separated. We don't deserve to have the grace and the blessing and the forgiveness But you do because you are a God of love and you are a God of compassion and care. And so let us understand that we have been washed. And if anybody right now is continuing to be bogged down by the internal heart and, and in their mind of the sins that they can't be forgiven. If they're stuck in that mindset that says God could never love me. Then Lord, let them hear this right now that they are forgiven. You are forgiven and you know who you, who you are right now, who I'm speaking to, that you are forgiven and you have been washed clean by the blood of Jesus Christ and live in that freedom and live in that glory and praise the Father for that. Let us continue to be people who are different and as the world looks at us, would see the glories of a holy God. Amen.